0: The Sounds Profitable podcast started impulsively as a way to test out the amazing ad tech I talk about. It's always been important to me that the people who talk about the technology know how to use it hands-on and absolutely know what their clients experience. Now, after 30 episodes and just finishing up our first year of Sounds Profitable as a newsletter, we're taking a month to completely reformat and improve the podcast to make it a better listening experience. For the month of September, I wanted to share with you four episodes you may have missed. And of course, ask you to please take our survey at podcast.study slash soundsprofitable. Without your feedback, we couldn't have made the improvements we're planning. So please keep it coming. This episode is brought to you by Magellan AI. Which industries are growing the fastest in podcast ads and how are they spending? For more information, go to Magellan.ai. Matt Drangler of Podsites and I worked together for six years across Claritas and Megaphone and dug in deep to discuss the value of lift reports back in May 2021. This episode, to me, felt like when I started to really feel comfortable as a podcast host, and I hope it really shows in the quality of the conversation. So me and Matt have had a long history together. We were part of the founding team of Barometric that was acquired by Claritas and still kicking around in the attribution space. Big fans of theirs as well. And Matt helped me a lot with my two-part series on understanding lift reports, because lift reports is an extension of campaign attribution, are really important, right? They're the, the pretty visual at the end of it that can be used to optimize the campaign, or honestly, for a lot of you out there that hopefully you'll find value in, it's the type of thing that you send to the brand or you send to your boss to say, like, hey, thumbs up, we did good. So. You know, Matt, let's let's go over a few like quick definitions here to make sure everybody's up to speed. So, how would you define attribution in podcast advertising?
1: Attribution very simply put is the act of identifying if podcast media exposures is driving a conversion or whatever the KPI or key performance indicator is for that particular advertiser.
0: Cool. So, if this this podcast we have ads on here and if you know we mentioned like hey, check out podsites.com, if there's a pixel in here, what it's doing is it's grabbing your IP address and it's trying to identify as much as it can about that and match that for the exposure. And then there's a pixel on the PodSites website, so when you visit there, it's trying to learn as much about your visit there as well, match it to a device graph and try and link the two to say the person who visited the website definitely was the person, or even the household more likely, that listened to the ad,
1: right? Exactly right, and what you're describing now is pixel-based attribution, right? Originally, when we talk about just general podcast attribution, I would argue that, that those terms include the how did you hear about a survey, the vanity URL, the coupon code and things like that, which, you know, to be very transparent on how, you know, we feel about that at PodSites, and I would argue everybody else in the, the pixel-based attribution space feels, um, is that the vast majority of advertisers is just not good enough. Um, I know we hear a lot of... I would say, chatter around this idea of, hey, like 75, 80, 85% of people that convert actually fill out that, how did you hear about a survey? And then the next question is like, but do you believe what they said? And that's always my biggest question is, if I'm scrolling through the thousand or so shows that exist on some of these, how did you hear about us surveys? Is my finger going to get tired? I'm just going to stop and click on whatever. Am I going to find a show that I really like that I want to give the credit and just select that? and then move on or did i actually hear the ad on that show and then like another thing to call out is do we as humans even fully understand what it is that drove us to purchase that's that's the biggest thing like i bought a new microphone recently don't i sound nice And what's the reason that I bought this microphone? Because I gave you shit for it. Because you get, okay, that's reason number one, right? (laughs) But like, how much credit do I give the shit that you gave me? Should I give that the full credit? Or was it also the ads that started to hit me as I looked for the best, you know, and easiest microphone to use? Um, And so there's all these different things that from a human psyche perspective, I don't think we always know what drove us to buy and what is causing us to do things. It's not always very cut and dry. And so um, that's why I think pixel-based attribution specifically is what gets around that bias. Uh, You always made fun of of me for saying this, Barletta, but like it's this idea of Geico. Exactly. Garbage in, garbage out. No matter how good your methodology is or your math is to derive the answer, if the data going into that analysis is garbage, then the data coming out is garbage.
0: I super agree. What I wanna set up for everybody here is that me and Matt worked like hand in hand for five years together. Five years. So the people yeah. the people who are used to talking to me or listening to the podcast and hear me go on a tangent and go there, what you just saw from Matt, like imagine five years of working closely together and the two of us tangenting, like yeah. it was a lot of fun. We got a lot of cool things done, but sometimes we even needed a translator.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But,
0: you know, Matt, I love working with you on all this stuff because like when we think of the split, like your sales with a lot of tech and I'm tech with some sales, right? And it's always worked really well there. You went all, the, you covered so many different things. We t- covered non-pixel attribution. We covered uh, the, the existential side of it, the, uh, the survey and the, the mental and the psychology side of that, which I'm probably going to sit on for a little bit. I got Tom Webster on at some point Good. who could probably answer a little bit more there for both of us. <laughs> but like, you're right. Like when we think about the surveys, like there are a lot of people out there that are very pro surveys and pro vanity URLs and pro coupons. And, you know, I don't think that they're bad. I think that none, no attribution in my point of view is 100% accurate. It can never be 100% accurate, right? Mm-hmm. Because even if you're talking directly to a human, they're walking into your physical store, you get in their way before they come in or they're at the counter and you look them in the eye, like they can lie to you. So you know, I think mm-hmm. that I look at these lower tech options of the vanity URL and the uh, coupon code and they have a lot more room to be scammed, right? I constantly look on coupon sites when I'm going to buy something and see some things out there and there are coupon codes for podcast stuff all the time and the vanity URLs and everything because oh, it yeah. in that benefit of that publisher or these services out there to make those available to more people. So there is a little bit more room and it's way lower tech to scam those. So it's not that like, they're not completely valuable. It's just that they have a higher margin of error.
1: Well, actually the, the best part about the scamming thing, I don't mean to interrupt no, you, no, please but see. like sometimes advertisers scam themselves because they'll have an offer that's out there with a podcaster. That's like, yo, get 15% off. And then you go to the homepage of the advertiser and the homepage has a 20% off coupon on the homepage. And it's just sort of like when you sit there and you look at that and you go, why would anybody ever use the podcast coupon? Yeah, Why? And now, and now you've completely destroyed any possibility of like looking at any results that this podcast could have driven, let alone something getting posted to a coupon code site or like, you know, via honey, which now I don't know if you heard about this, Barletta, but you don't actually have to search coupon code sites. Just click a button with a, with a Chrome extension. And now it just pops a coupon code right Yeah, until Honey starts sponsoring. We don't give him too much credit on here. No, but I mean, it's a cool (laughs) thing. Um,
0: No, but you're, I mean, like you're super right with that. Like I was just talking to someone the other day about the fact that like marketing, the marketing team and the advertising team are very different teams, right? Like they don't always communicate in the same way. So the people that are handling those deals on the website are not necessarily the people that are cutting the deals with these podcasts and advertisers. So that 20% on the site might make sense today, but it super undercuts that 15% and it just makes the campaign look useless. Now, again, pixel-based, when we look at it right now, there is a massive hole with cellular and business IP addresses. Almost sure. almost everything's household. We're fortunate, I guess, for ad tech. awful to say that in the world of uh, the pandemic, like most things are happening on a home Wi-Fi connection. My phone yeah. yells at me every night when I try, i like, I'll disconnect from Wi-Fi and I'll be like, don't worry, I'll reconnect at midnight. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. I didn't okay. know I wanted that, yeah. but we're there. I think thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And most podcast downloads happen when you're connected on Wi-Fi connections. If you're doing a download, if you're streaming on Spotify or other services, like, yeah, it's missed. But enough of those downloads, I think I'm comfortable saying enough downloads in podcasting and enough streams in podcasting in in the household that these numbers for attribution can be directional. And I don't I don't really want to go into it because I think that it is a massive amount of effort and it's fear mongering. There are ways to scam impressions and downloads. But we're talking like sure. tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars in investments for it to be a noticeable thing or an uncatchable thing. And so at the end of the day, like putting a pixel on uh, when the media is served and putting the pixel on the website and calling that a day as good enough for directional is fantastic. If you are counting and you're saying, I only got 10 conversions, you're looking at it the wrong way. And that's where we get into lift reports, which is this whole idea is that that 10 conversions, isn't accurate. And we know it's not accurate going into it because it doesn't catch everything. So what that means is that with a lift report, which I'd like you to, to explain what it is, we're able to see like what what is the actual picture. What does that 10 mean in the landscape of how the performance of the site was already doing?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the overly academic way to talk about lift studies is um, it isolates the impact of the campaign that you're measuring with the lift study. And, and the reason that that's important Think about any large brand that spends tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in the advertising ether, as it were. And those individuals are or those individual brands are working really hard to figure out like which of these marketing channels or or publishers or tactics are driving the best results. And they're all spending a metric crap ton, that's a scientific term, the metric crap ton of money bringing all of this data in as much as they can into a, an MTA provider, multi-touch attribution provider, or a media mix modeling, uh, I'd say organization or company, and trying to figure out what is working. And the reality of it is, is getting those types of data feeds set up is really challenging. And using that type of data with the actual algorithm is challenging. I distinctly remember, and I go back and we'll get back to list studies, But like, I go back to my time when I was at Staples and we spent a lot of time bringing in a multi-touch attribution provider and we had to stop once and go to a different provider based on the results that we were seeing. It took a year to get to a point where we knew we didn't wanna work with the first one and we wanted to go work with the other one. And so that amount of time means it's really challenging to get any channels, new channels into this mix and even really interpreting it right. Because now you start to talk about like, well, podcasting is at the household level and display is at the individual level. And how do you account for that within your actual algorithms? And so it's lift studies that allow you to basically get those results without having to plug all of that data in into your multi-touch attribution provider. Here's what that means. If I'm a very large company spending tons of money in the space, I've got I don't know, direct mail live, display live, billboards live, insert your favorite channel here, right? They want to know, okay, but like all of the conversions that I just saw take place for podcasting, like how many of those would have happened anyway? Because I have so much other marketing out there that's live. And a lift study is designed to answer that because you create a control group and we're going to dive into that a lot, but we create a control group and we observe how this control group behaves organically. And the idea of a control group is one, it's a mutually exclusive group of individuals compared to the exposed group or the people that are actually being hit by these podcast ads. And the activity that this control group is exhibiting on the website is the assumption is, well, that's a result of all of the other marketing channels that are out there. That's driving that activity. So if I can see what that baseline activity looks like, then I can subtract that from the results that I see from the exposed group. And then the difference between what the control group is doing and the exposed group is doing, that is the isolated impact of the podcast campaign. Again, just removing all of the other channels from consideration.
0: Yeah. And and so I want to rewind just a little bit. Yeah.
1: I I think that you're right. Like I think that
0: first off that lift reports are the right way to go for people who are getting ready to get up and run, right? I think that if you have a smaller team or if you heck, if you are only allowed to focus on podcasting, or if you're you don't have yeah, you don't have the reach to the other channels, you don't have the time, you want to get something up exactly. and running, you want to prove it, lift study is the only answer. Podcast-based lift study, in my opinion, is the only answer because it just removes reliance on anyone but you right, as a brand, you control everything. It's a pixel on the website, it's a pixel on the campaign, and what you are looking for is, does this strategy work? Is the strategy podcasting in general? Cool, probably too broad, you're gonna get a yes, that's fine. Is it the states, you wanna do one by state, maybe a little too aggressive unless your spend's there, maybe it's by demographic targeting, maybe it's by all these different things, but that lift Report is going to let you answer as quick as possible, with as little reliance on anybody else, does this work? Right now, multi-touch attribution, like Matt said, is the the mindset of that the same company measuring everything or measuring the podcast one is going to measure everything. And, you know, you, you painted in a, in a picture, like, um, is the overlap worth it? Like, like am I catching these people on podcasts that I'm already catching somewhere else? And, um, I want to give a little bit of credit. The people in the multi-touch space, you know, uh, have justified and, and shown that like, it's not only about just like, is there overlap, but does that overlap help? Right. Do I need four right. impressions? in podcasting for a conversion or is it for impressions across all media? And multi, right. I think multi-touch is great. I mean, heck, to be super fair, me and you like fought for it for like four years at Barometric. Yeah, a thousand percent. Trying to make Absolutely. it happen. And, and the reason that it didn't happen was that nobody who wanted to buy
1: the product could affect that much change. Correct. And, and it's not only that. I agree with you that the outcome or the output of multi-touch attribution is insanely valuable. Yes. But the question is, is the work involved to get it set up worth your the time and effort? I, because yeah. again, after you set this up and start receiving some outputs, the next question you have to ask yourself is, is this believable like, and defensible? And then you have to start poking and prodding and testing that algorithm to be like, are the results sort of expected? as they should be, almost like you're creating a test that you know the end result for to see if the algorithm agrees with you. And that right there is what takes a lot of time. And you're right.
0: Basically the companies that will get the most value about multi-touch attribution are the companies that take three months to sign a basic contract, right? And that's, sure. that's pretty clear there. And what I could say is that if you're exploring multi-touch attribution, you should be at a company that has your own internal data science team. I don't mean like one nerd who likes to look at data like me and Matt, I mean like a true team that can go through it and you probably don't care about any of the platforms you use as internal analytics. You get the raw data and formulate it yourself. That's the people that multi-touch is for. It has immense value. But like Matt said, when you are one person or a small team or trying something out or trying to prove, should we go from spending $50,000 to $500,000 to $5 million, like you will spend more time and money setting up MTA. MTA might be an evolution of something you do. It might be at a later point in maturity, but podcasting is still in the advertising space in the infancy. And the fastest way to test an idea is a lift report. You did, you right. mentioned uh, media mix modeling. And that's one thing that me and you've talked about a little bit, but I'd love for you to explain the differences between that and MTA, if you don't mind. That's more of a report, right? That's less of like an actual, like tracking the full campaign in real time and seeing the results. It's more of like an end result, like here's your scorecard. Yeah.
1: Multi touch attribution is typically a custom attribution methodology, whereas media mix modeling is typically some form of regression. I, I, I'll start to. Like go to a place where I don't know as much because I haven't actually done the calculations for media mix modeling before. Um, But the biggest difference that I have heard and have seen personally in my time, especially at Staples, is the speed with which these reports come out. So multi-touch attribution will typically, if not real-time, might be a daily or a weekly update. Media mix modeling is typically something where it would require a month or longer worth of number crunching and data collection in order to create the output. And more often than not, what you're doing is you're seeing the output six, seven weeks after the measurement period has ended. So one of the biggest complaints, and I believe one of the biggest reasons that MTA exists is media mix modeling is really not immediately actionable. Like if I see, for instance, right, like my back to school season, really didn't seem to do well for for one channel versus another, I can't react to that with media mix modeling fast enough because back to school's over. Yep. And I just received the report for it. Whereas MTA, I have an opportunity to actually see that information in front of me within a decent amount of cadence and and react to it. So that's, that's the biggest difference between the two. You know,
0: that's a great example of the back to school season and things like that. I'm, I'm typically of the mindset that Facebook and other mediums have driven us to this belief that we need to be able to see that sale in real time on a one-to-one basis. And, oh boy, does it suck dealing with people who have that anxiety coming over from Facebook into podcasting and like even 48 hours or a week is enough for them to like literally drive you up a wall. Um, But uh, you're right. There are some seasonalities of things that are really important. And so, you know, being able to at least see something super comprehensive on a weekly basis, like a lift report, or every two weeks or every month, um, being able to see the attribution on a daily basis that you can make a gut call on. Um, these mm-hmm. are things that are really powerful because podcasting you know you can be flexible and you can change it you can change budget from different especially if you're if you're targeting by like unique characteristics of a listener right. you can change that day to day if you want you shouldn't you got to yeah. get enough data you got to get a, like a week of data
1: before yeah, you and we like to say you wait 3 to 4 weeks before you make any changes or optimizations to your campaign yes. you, you need to have a critical mass of data it's it's very easy to 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 react to data that looks like you need to react to it immediately but then like yeah, but your last optimization was like yesterday. So give it a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely something that we preach quite a bit.
0: The lift reports, they're very cool because like there's a hole in education and understanding in ad tech in general. And I'm seeing it a lot in podcasting. And the truth is, is that those of you in like the lower end roles, like the account manager, ad ops, operations, sales, and all that, Like you are some of the most knowledgeable people at your company, like the decision makers, your managers, the people above you know what you've passed on to them, know it as a surface. They don't know the hands on. They should and they could. And I hope that they start spending more time on it. But um, one of my favorite advantages of something like a lift report is you can take a screenshot and you can send that to your boss. Because the biggest account management tip I ever learned was nobody opens your attachments if they have to open your attachment, they're probably pretty frustrated with you. So if you can tell them success right. in a screenshot in the actual body of the email, like you are their favorite person. So Lift reports help there. And you know, it's, it is, if you set up your Lift report, if you set up an attribution campaign too broad, right? One pixel for all of your podcasting endeavors, like you might not see success, but if you get granular, right? If you do it by the mm-hmm. strategies, like we talked about, you're gonna see both success and failure. And Matt, me and you, we spent a lot of time with that. That was the hardest one because we would get these people on the phone who were like, my job's on the line. Like, I don't know how to how to tell you this. Like, this was supposed to be successful and it's not going in the direction we want. And I have to explain this to my boss and like, I'm ready to pull this money out and go to Facebook. Like, what are the things that you tell somebody who's freaking out because they don't have a positive lift report in. The percentage that you know the baseline or industry standard was or like a neutral or a negative if you want to go through each of those that I think that could be a really empowering thing to hear for these people that have to defend those
1: yeah I mean if I if I see something that is negative, there's a few ways to go with that So first off, if we're talking about a very very large advertiser they're they're in the tens of millions hundreds of millions billion dollar range and they put into podcasting. There is no chance that you're going to achieve incrementality. You're spending so much damn money elsewhere that there is no doubt that that $50,000 is being cannibalized by your TV and your print and your banner and your paid social and your retargeting and your yada, yada, yada. And so your favorite channel here. So that, from my perspective, if I'm talking to a very large brand and they don't achieve any incrementality on a small test, my immediate reaction is, yeah, but like, if you were dipping your toes into TV, now this is a little bit ridiculous because podcasting is not TV, but like just to be grandiose to make the point, if you are going to be dipping your toes into TV, how much would you spend? And if they start coming back with million, multi million dollar numbers, and I'm saying there is no way that $50,000 is going to overachieve or o- achieve over and above what you're spending in TV. Then
0: I want to pause you there because like, let's take logic out of this situation because unfortunately that person who came in with that $50,000 campaign for that billion dollar spend company mm-hmm. is like three steps removed from the person who like actually cut the budget. So they don't have the authority oh, yeah. that 50 K campaigns coming through. That is a negative lift, but like we all not understand it, right? That, that, the specific brand that me and you are dancing around right here as an example is very clearly like a household name. Everybody knows it. It's we do everywhere. We know the brand that I'm Absolutely. talking about. Absolutely. Right and if, we, if they're <laughs> one of the 250 people who are not my mom listening to this podcast, maybe they'll give me a call about this and yell at me. But that, like at the end of the day, like they're a household name that's, it's so saturated. So they get a negative lift on that end. What do, what do you tell them? Because they didn't want to hear you at the first part where you're just like, hey this, this is a drop in the ocean. This isn't enough. You are so well known that I could run this, this exposure pixel on a podcast that doesn't even have your ad and get similar results. Yeah. So what do you tell them on that? You get that report back and it's
1: negative. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, the first thing that I remind them is just by adding attribution to something does not mean it's going to be successful. So keep in mind, what a third party attribution provider is doing. It is giving you, based on all of its knowledge of this campaign, as much information as it can to tell you in an unbiased way what happened.
0: Are you telling me that I, when I pay the CPM to you, it's not for you to justify my decision and say that, yeah, Brian, your idea was successful. I don't cut a check to pod sites to be like, that's, your idea perfect. That's exactly what I'm telling oh, you. You bring logic into this? That's great. I, I, yeah. I, I do. But people I know need to you hear said it. this for
1: logic out the door, but I decided against it.
0: <laughs> no, but that that's true. But people need to hear that. So many times people they are they're like, ah, attribution and, and lift reports. It's just to justify your point of view. Like,
1: you know, yeah. pod. You're paying me. You're paying me to tell you uh, if this shit worked. Yep. And if I tell you it worked and then you start diving deeper into the data and you're like, Matt, this didn't work. Then what do I like? What, what am I supposed to say? What, am I am I supposed to like be? Oh yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Hmm, I wonder what happened there. No, 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 no. Like I have to be honest with you on what worked and what didn't. So anyway, back back to the question, right? So so very large advertiser. My answer to this is true for a very large advertiser, but also let's say uh, a medium to smaller size advertiser that um, doesn't have as much spend out there in the marketing world, which is. Just by looking at the overall lift study result, it is a great like wet finger in the air, did this work or didn't this work? But the, the, the job of an attribution provider, from my perspective, and I carry this f- throughout our time working together, Brian, and throughout the time that I've been here at PodSites, and I would argue that every attribution provider should, should think this way. Our job is to tell you, okay, but yeah, what? Like what next? What am I supposed to do with this information? Because if I don't, if I'm just telling you success or not success, There's nothing, there's nothing I can do with that. So the way to look at lift results is by breaking them down into the relative performance, relative lift. So within a singular campaign, like we've been talking about before, there's going to be individual line items or tactics or shows that you're going to be um uh, that you're going to include in this plan, right? And so if I take a look at a lift study and I break it down by those line items, by those placements, by those shows then I can start to see sort of the building blocks of that lift study. And I can start to identify, here are the pieces that showed incrementality, and here are the pieces that were not incremental at all. So now you've got almost like a breadcrumb trail that tells you, go do more of A, go do less or completely divest from B. And now you have your next steps. Which is, now what yeah. next? Go do that.
0: That's so, And that's so killer because the amount of companies that come to you and are just like, hey, here's our go-to. Here's what we always target. Go do the same thing in podcasting. And like podcasting is different right? We have to treat it different, right? If you
1: treat it the same, please don't treat it like radio.
0: Yeah. Don't treat it like radio. Don't treat it like programmatic audio. Like you got to treat it different. Like if you just want to get the cheapest out there and get brand recognition and you don't care about attribution, then do it. Chase low CPMs, get a compelling ad and call it a day. But if you're going to take podcasting seriously, what Matt said is really great. You come in with a preconceived notion. You're just like, this worked in TV, this worked in display, I'm going to combine it, target that same type of thing in podcasting. If you break your strategies out deep enough, you can start cutting out shows that don't work there. You can see the overlap in demographic or geo or all the, or behavioral, all these different things that can tell you that like, oh, the people in podcasting that respond to this are different than display and video and everything else. And you can change it. You can put more money into the shows that's working. You can, put, uh, you can find what's similar about the shows that are working and find new shows that do that. You can find targeting across multiple shows that seems to be successful and expand your reach. That's the the key thing here because, like Matt was saying, if you just do all the podcasting as exposure with this big brand, it's just going to show negative lift. But if you break out your strategies, there's it, going to be a little bit of growth. There's going to be something mm-hmm. that just peaks through. You're find something. Or even worst case scenario, there's going to be something that is less negative lift than the others, which is still incremental,
1: which is still a positive direction to continue testing. Although out. like, it's also my job to say, like, if you find this lift result and the lift results are not that positive and you can't find any positive, then your options are sort of like either go try something completely new, go spend more money. Cause perhaps that's the problem is you're just outspending on other channels or maybe podcasting isn't right for your audience. Like I, you have to say that because that's what these results may be showing you. Now, I don't like to turn people away from the podcast industry. I want more and more brands to come into this space because one, I'm a, I'm a believer myself. Like I started listening to podcasting back in like this week in tech days. I listened to Leo Laporte all the time. I listened to Kevin Rose when he created Dignation. He was one of the first video podcasts or maybe they called him vlogs. I don't remember. What I they think it was vloggers back then. right. But like, I want to see, yeah, I want to see the, the success yeah. of this industry, but like our job as an attribution provider is just to give you the, like, this is, this is the data. This, it is, it is like accurate. And this is, we just have to act on what come, what, what came through. So like that, th- these are the options that you have to throw out there is perhaps this channel is not right for you, or you just didn't quite go about it the right way. And like, to go back to this idea of like, podcasting is unique and needs to be treated differently. It's so true. I, what I hope doesn't happen is this space goes full programmatic and the ads are being created within the same shop as as the the place where the radio ads are being created or that the, the creative control is not sort of shared with someone who understands the podcast space. Because that that's what, from my perspective, those are the types of things that ruined other marketing channels. As marketers, we're really good at ruining channels. Yes.
0: Yeah, I like to describe podcasting really as uh, the scene and up where the old man's house is in the center and everything else is bulldozed. Like advertising is that dude in a suit. Like they're not, yeah. big ad tech isn't in podcasting. Like they're not standing on the sidelines out of the goodness of their heart. It's that they can't figure out how to get rid of
1: your house yeah. right now. Dude, so dude, can we talk about QR codes? <laughs> like if QR codes were $150,000 to create a single QR code, people would be thinking really hard about the right way to do that. Yeah. But because they're free, they're on billboards. Yep. Why the shit are you putting a QR code on a billboard, right? It's things like that that marketers will always ruin.
0: Yep, Yeah, but you know, this is a great place to wrap up because what I wanna say here is that Matt Drangler is probably one of my favorite people in the space. He can go toe-to-toe with me on all this stuff. And I really gotta emphasize this, Matt knows when PodSites is the right solution or not, when podcast advertising is the right solution or not for you, he's not gonna sell you all day long. So if you enjoy talking to me, if you wanna get a different perspective, you're tired of hearing my voice, you wanna hear it from someone with better hair, um then you know definitely reach out to Matt and I and I really want to take this moment to say thank you to the entire Podsite's team who I pitched the entire idea sounds profitable to right after James bought into it and they were my first sponsor and they're a repeat sponsor throughout 2021 and hopefully the future so you know Podsite's releases amazing data matt drangler spits great knowledge we got to get you on twitter posting your thoughts and opinions or whatever is useless on there for everybody all 40 <laughs> of us that care about it but um matt thank you so much i want to ask you i'm going to put you on the spot none of this mainstream crap what is the podcast that you're listening to the most recently
1: what do you mean none of the mainstream i don't want to really hear like about nice one. from new york times oh, god you're like the I fourth person Sway. who said that yeah but it's a good show that's great get what it. else tell people where else <laughs> Um, I, man, I'm listening to mostly mainstream stuff right now. Like I'm listening to a lot of Joe Rogan. I love the Elon Musk interview that he did recently, like three hours of just like ear candy. I I can't, I, I don't know what else to give you. I don't have a Dungeons and Dragons podcast that I'm listening to right now. We're going to have to start one. <laughs> I think it's, it's,
0: uh, ad tech, uh, like, uh, ad tech and dragons or dungeons and ad sales. Like we're going to make it happen. Oh, I love that idea. Uh,
1: There we go. All right, I'm in. That and a
0: 20-sided die. We've got ourselves a podcast. (laughs) Well, Matt, thanks again for joining me here and I definitely will have you back.
1: All right, man. Sounds good.
0: Thanks to Matt Drangler for coming on to help us expand on my articles, Understanding Lift Reports, Part 1 and 2. If you liked what you heard and want to connect, you can find me, Brian Barletta on LinkedIn, way less formally on Twitter as High5RPG. And of course, you can email me at brian at soundsprofitable.com, spelled either way. The most important part about Sounds Profitable is providing you with more resources and making sure that I can answer your questions. So check out the link to Yapa in the episode description and leave me a message. And with your permission, I'll answer it live on the show. Sounds Profitable is completely recorded using Squadcast. I'm such a big fan of all the features that they have, from the video recording remote to their Dolby features, which are really fantastic. And then my favorite part that I use for the product deep dives is the screen share aspect. We can record all that in high definition and it's saved in real time, so there's no risk of losing it. So, please check out squadcast.fm and sign up for a trial because I use it and I know you'll love it. The Sounds Profitable podcast would not be possible without the help and support of Evo Terra, James Cridlin, and Ian Powell. Thank you all for your help and support.